Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. I am Joe Spiegel, and sitting across from me is the ever impervious Mr. Mike Sutherland. Ooh. All right. This week, or God damn it, this, this episode, this edition, this time, we are doing The Shape of Water. We're going to talk about that fine film and whatever else pops into our heads, of course. Um, first of all, what did you think? I <laughs> just wanted to fuck with you. I'm kidding. Uh, the Shape of Water. Did you, when you first saw the trailer for this, did you really want to see it when it first came out? Absolutely. Oh, did you? Okay. I wasn't sure if you did or not. Um, I, um, of course, I, you know, visual, visually, just from the trailer, I, I could already see that it had this... Um, you know, it had Del Toro's style. You know, his his uh, you know his, his his distinct look that he likes to do with his uh, movies, especially the movies that he puts a lot of effort into, like his uh, we call it his passion projects, right? Uh-huh. Like like Pan's Labyrinth is a passion project, or or if you've seen like Kronos, which is like one of his first films he ever did, um, which was on a very low budget, but he still you know he put a lot of a ton of effort into making it. Uh, but even you, you check out the Hellboys, which had high budgets. You know, he still he, he had that that visual flair that he put in there. Now I looked it up, and he's not the um, he's not the art designer of the film. You know, he didn't. It says that his his name's not on the concept art, but he's the writer of it, and he's also the director of it. So I'm pretty sure that whoever was the art director of the film and whoever was the conceptual artist, they all did it based off of Del Toro's vision. You know, almost 100% on that, right? What do you think? Yeah? All right, fuck you. Sure. So <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I see this movie from start to finish as Del Toro's vision, you know, uh, because, like I said, he plans out these things. And apparently, he's been wanting to make this movie since around 2011, which was before Pacific Rim, which was around the time that he, I think he was um, uh, working things out with Warner Brothers and New Line um, about doing The Hobbit. So... Uh, so yeah, he's been wanting to do this for a while, and of course, because of his busy schedule and his issues with I don't know what do you call it procrastinating or or whatever else, you know, uh, he you know he just didn't do it. He ended up doing other things, right? And you know, like for example, he turned down doing Pacific Rim sequel. Uh, what is it called? Uprising. He uh, he turned it down because he finally said, you know what, fuck it, I'm going to make this movie, The Shape of Water. You know, which is, that's great. Too bad he, he also could have uh, put a, I don't know, the first Pacific Rim to the side as well. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers. But you know what? I, I, you, you did have a, uh, when we talked about Shape of Water right after we saw it, you had a unique perspective on it. And uh, it was, you know, because we, uh, when we first both saw Pacific Rim back in, what was it, 2013? Mm-hmm. We were both very critical of it, you know, which, you know, goes hand in hand with what we do. But, I, I think it was because both of our expectations were pretty high, you know, because we've, we we were fans of Del Toro's work. So uh, to see Pacific Rim, you know, be as I don't know, mediocre as it was, it, it, you know, that that's why. It's like you, you expect more, you know, because he's already raised the bar. It's like when you watch you watched Peter Jackson with what he did with Lord of the Rings and then, and then you know, The Lovely Bones comes out and Lovely Bones was not bad, but you don't remember shit about it. Only thing I remember about that fucking movie was – with Stanley Tucci's performances playing a pedophile, rapist, murder, kid murderer, or whatever, right? That's it. You know, or, or do you really remember that much about the Hobbit trilogy? I, I mean, I do, but I don't. I, it's like I don't even give a shit. So, hold on a second. What are you getting at? I'm getting at my expectations for Del Toro have been down for a bunch of years for now, it was for a while now, and it's when when you see something like 
the shape of water, it brings it all back. It brings it, 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 it shows that this guy can still make a really, really good movie. And that just because he's done some, you know what, he's, he's went outside and he's tried some other things. And you know what, more power to him for trying other shit. You know what I mean? I, but it's good to see that he still can do things at the top of his game. And The Shape of Water proves that to me. Because in my opinion, I haven't seen all of his movies because there's a couple that he's done um, that I haven't seen, you know, the, his old um, low-budget films. But all in all, out of all the ones I have seen of his, uh, I'd have to say that The Shape of Water is probably his second best film, you know, behind Pan's Labyrinth. Because I, I absolutely love Pan's Labyrinth. And Pan's Labyrinth, to me, is just a couple, not a little, a notch or two above Shape of Water. You know, um, this movie is, it's like, okay, I, I didn't see La La Land in, in theaters, but I, I, I did a blind buy on it when it came out on uh, Blu-ray, and I bought it having a good feeling about it because I like Emma Stone, I like Ryan Gosling. So I bought the movie, and I watched it. And what I really enjoyed about that movie was, it, it even though it's set now, it, it's able to capture that musical, um, the joy of Hollywood kind of thing, you know, the fantasy of of classic movies, you know, like Singing in the Rain and shit like that, right? Um, and and this movie, The Shape of Water, it does similar things as well. You know, when it, you know, when the part like say where Sally Hawkins's character is sitting on the couch with Richard Jenkins' character Giles, and and they do that thing, the dancing with the feet, and you know, the shuffling of the feet and the tap dancing and all that stuff. It it's just things like that. It, it you know, or when she's sitting in the movie theater, you know, watching the classic films or you know, in that classic style movie theater. And it, it's all, and then the music, oh fuck, the music itself, you know, with the, it, it's just, it's very playful, you know, and a lot of piano sounds and um, it just, it, it just, it harkens back, you know what I mean? To that, to that old style of a different kind, a different era of filmmaking. That's what I'm trying to get at, is that this movie is, it, it's, it's really good because it can, it can, it can capture all of those things, but it can also, it adds the Del Toro, you know, uh, twist to it, the Del Toro tone to it, which is, has the gore, right? And the horror to it, you know, which I don't know how many, you know, really good filmmakers can do that, can, can, um, have a, a compelling story, but also be able to, um, add gore to it, but not, have to go way too over the top, even though there, there's some of the gore went a little. Hold on a second, hold what? on, hold on. What, Mr. Cutteroffer? Where are you going with all of this? I'm all over the place. Yeah, you are. What are you talking about? The Shape of Water. Okay, why didn't you give a summary? Give a summary of the movie. Let's um, let's start with that, <clears throat> so people understand because some people haven't seen the movie yet, and. Is, and I and I'm not disagreeing with everything that you said at all. In fact, I agree with with everything that you said. Except you probably think that Pan's Labyrinth isn't as good as this movie. I've <laughs> never seen Pan's Labyrinth, so I, I, well, I, I can't you, discuss it. I remember you saying you you couldn't get through it or something. Yeah, it's just there's something about that movie that just doesn't interest me. But that's not a problem. Um, that's my problem. That's not anyone else's problem. But here here's the issue with this podcast right now. We've we've gone seven eight minutes into it, but we have not yet brought up the fact that we we haven't given a summary or told anything about this movie other than some overview of Guillermo del Toro and some of his stuff, which is fine. That's not a big deal. Um, but we we absolutely need to let people know what this movie is about. So let's uh, let's let's give a review. Let's give a summary of. 
the movie, it's right here on the right-hand side. It's highlighted. All right. So Elisa is a mute who's, who she's, she's an isolated woman who works as a cleaning lady in a, in a hidden high-security government facility in the laboratory. And it's around 1962 in uh, Baltimore. Yeah. And we, we couldn't figure out what year it was. I, know, I, I thought, thought it was, it was the 50s. 50s yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I looked it up, and it said, you know, most things say circa 1962. Right. So, um, so her life changes forever when she discovers that the lab's classified secret, which is a mysterious scaled creature from South America that lives in a water tank. Um, as Alyssa develops a unique bond with her new friend, she soon learns that its fate and very survival lies in the hands of a hostile government agent and a marine biologist. Okay. So when we first started, uh, actually, you know what? Let me do this first. I've, I've been distracted by, by a couple of things, so I, I apologize. So, uh, well, here, here's the trailer. Clean that lab, you get out. She deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. The thing we keep in there is an affront. And I should know, I dragged it all the way here. It's a lot of blood. What went on in here? It was you that found my fingers. There was mustard on them. Soviets want it. We know that much. We need to take it apart, learn how it works. What happened? It's an animal. I'm just keeping it tame. I can either save him or let him die. Don't do this, Eliza. Don't do this. I'm going to be synchronizing our watches, just like they do in the movies. Oh, woman, we go burn in hell. The asset, do you have it? No! Sir, I'm getting it back. Our concern is the Russians. And fuck this mess. You deliver, right? Right? We didn't see nothing. What am I doing? Interviewing the shit cleaners. He's a wild creature. We can't ask him to be anything else. You were speaking Russian, Bob! Where is it? Shit, Finish the job, son. Eliza, honey, he's coming for you. They did pretty much show almost the whole movie in that trailer. They did. Yeah, that's why there wasn't any like uh, true surprises with the movie because of the trailer. But it, it, you know what? It, I mean, this kind of story in and of itself has been told in other ways, in you know, other forms. But so it is predictable for the most part. But that didn't really matter because how how the story is told is the most important way, and the the visual style and everything like I already mentioned a few minutes ago. That's what sells the movie, you know, is is pretty much that. Right. So <clears throat> there's a lot of there's a lot of these stupid um, you know, seventeen things I missed in the shape of water, Abe's parents and blah blah blah. If you're a fan of Hellboy, it's not Abe Sapien, first and foremost. Yeah, no, it's not. It's 
Dude, they, they, they purposely hint at the creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, and, and the reason why it's not Abe Sapien's parents is because, again, if you read any of the Hellboy comics or know of anything, they found him in the 1800s. Yeah, in a monastery or something like that? Uh, uh, no, beneath a uh, uh, dilapidated building. Mm-hmm. So he was a government experiment, blah, 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 blah. Um, yes, this movie is a direct relationship to... Both the shape of um, the creature from the Black Lagoon and sort of Hellboy, okay? The eggs and whatnot. I think like in spirit. Yeah, in, definitely in spirit. Um, but this is this is a an unofficial sequel to the creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, um, in my opinion. It, um, I've, but I've been saying that since I saw the trailer Yeah, because... Uh, the way that they show up in this government facility, the 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 way that the the um, the gill man—that's what we're going to call it—the the fish dude. They call him the amphibian man in the in the tree in the credits. Yeah, so I'm I'm calling him gill man. That's what they called him in the creature from the black lagoon. Yeah, um, the way that it walks, the way that it looks, um, although not 100% the same. Uh, the hands, everything else are very similar. Yeah. And, of course, there's the direct relations, which is I dragged this some bitch all the way from South America. Yeah. Right? And they, that's kind of where they left it at. Yeah, you said he pulled it out of the muck. Yeah. So, and if you've seen The Creature from the Black Lagoon, you'll, you'll, you know that there was a team of research scientists down there that found this, this fossil, and they were trying to um, unblock... A river, uh, a, not a fjord, but you know, there's a there's a convergence at this river in the mouth of a river, which turned into a lagoon, and this this the creature from the black lagoon, the Gilman, had created this dam to keep the water from uh, moving out of the lagoon. Well, what had ended up happening was when the research vessel can't is in the lagoon. It can't get out of the lagoon because of the dam that had been slowly building up, and they mm-hmm. have to get the dam apart, and that's kind of where this whole thing happens. And the creature from the Black Lagoon is kind of an asshole. Um, there's yeah, also he's like to fuck it. this and fuck that, and he's well, not in that one, <laughs> but in the sequels. <laughs> yeah, so no, so uh, from the from look, I was already mesmerized by the film by by its look from the first shot when it it's doing the. Um, He's doing the Richard Jenkins voiceover where he's, you know, he's pretty much, he's like almost like reading poetry, right? And he's talking about the story and about how it ends and, you know, and, and it's going through, it's like going through this dream sequence where it's underwater and it's in her apartment, you know, and everything's slowly starting to float and, you know, pans upon her and she's laying asleep on her couch and she starts to just levitate in the water, right? I was already hooked on, on how cool this movie was going to be. And it, it, it does not disappoint. You know, it, it's, look, I can always say that I don't like certain styles. You know, I'm not a fan of 50s styles look, you know, and, and 60s and 70s. I've never been a fan. But <laughs> when, you, when you're able to use it to tell a story, it, like, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter that I don't care for that era because it's like almost its own character. And it, it's, like I said, it sells it. It sells it big time. And... The the level of detail that went into that artistic style, which, for example, when they bring in the tank that the the amphibian man is carried in, and you can tell that it's not new, you know, that it's been used before for something else, and and how, like, 
you know, the metal on it has like little like rush streaks going down it, you know, from when water's, you know, come down it in the past and stuff. And, and just, it doesn't look new. And, and, that, and that's what I love because that's one of my biggest peeves about movies, especially period piece films, is that I want authenticity to a point. You know, I, like I know I, I wasn't fucking there, but come on. You know, if, if, if a movie's, if you're watching a Western, Okay, people aren't all wearing brand new clothes. You know what I mean? Not everyone's going to have bleach white teeth and, and things like that. It it just doesn't go with it. And so when you have like I, I so I like the little the little details. And this movie has those little details. And I love that shit cuz nothing felt like I was watching um actors from today and filmmakers from today making this movie. But in a way there is something though. And the thing is this um, what threw me off a little bit was, um, how do I put this? It was, all right. It was Octavia Spencer's character, Zelda. She, her approach to Sally Hawkins's, um, relationship with the amphibian man. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem was this. I understand that Zelda's very understanding character and and you know she's got her own problems with her life because she's got the sh- the boring husband you know that doesn't do shit and and everything like that. But it's this is look it's 1960s okay and the racism's been set up in this film because you can see it by the way certain people act at certain times, especially Michael Shannon's character. But um, when he makes certain comments and stuff. But people back then, especially you know from in that from that area, area yeah from that area, are very a lot of people are very religious and. And to see someone who's completely understanding of, to see Zelda that understanding of, of Sally Hawkins' sexual relationship with the amphibian man threw me off because <laughs> I don't care how like supportive Zelda was of her just saving the creature, that's fine. But when it when she knew about them having relations with each other, and the fact that she wasn't like appalled like oh my god this is an ungodly abomination kind of thing you know what i mean it threw me off because it was like it was almost like it was trying to like set that aside like because you know how people would react to shit i mean that's how people reacted to (coughs) same-sex marriages sometimes from certain areas at that time so um so for someone to have a sexual relationship with a with a completely different species you know that's i I just anyway i it, it threw me off that that's what i'm trying to say i other than that, though, I, I saw, I mean, the movie felt authentic for what it was doing, you know, for, in its appearance. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. <laughs> it was long explained, but the, yeah. So, um, but other than that, I, I can't think of, I can't really think of any negatives I have about this movie, you know, besides that. It's, you know, it, it's, it's the, no. I mean, can you think of a negative? That's the issue. I don't have any negatives about this movie. Everything about this movie is really good. I mean, there's slow parts, if that's what you want to call a negative. But no, I mean, when it comes right down to it, Michael Shannon was great. Um, Sally Hawkins. Sally Hawkins, thank you. Yeah. I had Richard Jenkins was Giles, the neighbor. And then you had... Yeah, he um, was fantastic. Octavia Spencer. And what's what's even better about that is that this is a, this is a layered story. Okay? Yeah. You have... The, um, hold on a second. I need, I got to find, uh, her. Sally Hawkins. Is that Sally Hawkins? Yeah. So you have Sally Hawkins who plays the mute girl, the mute janitor. She was the one who worked with, um, um, oh, God damn it. What's his fucking name? Doesn't matter. Ken Watanabe's character in Godzilla 2014. Okay. Remember the two scientists? I don't care. I'm moving forward. Okay. Um, 
you have you have Sally Hawkins who who plays this mute girl who <laughs> for for lack of a better term loves the water. Yeah. Um you have Octavia Spencer who you, you okay, so Sally plays a single girl, okay? And then you have um who was his name? The the guy that played the gay guy. Giles. Giles. What was his name? Richard Richard Jenkins. Richard yeah. Jenkins. So you have Richard Jenkins, who's also kind of single, and then him and Sally have this unique relationship. Yeah, they both understand each other and get each other. And then you have Octavia Spencer, who is married and is always talking about, you know, her husband, and he's kind of a douche. He is and he isn't, but he he kind of is. (laughs) And Michael Shannon, who's also uh, married, and he's very, he's not distant, but it's as you have said in the past. It's kind of a weird relationship. Um, he doesn't want to be in Baltimore. Yeah. He hates it, but so he's just dealing with it. So and he's got all this other shit going on. So you have you have these three different relationships. You have and then you have the the Sally Hawkins and the creature relationship. Okay, and it kind of all combines together if you look at the different layers. Where Sally Hawkins always wanted to have a relationship with someone that could dance, that could, you know, that makes her feel special. Yeah. And she doesn't get that till the end of the movie. And then you have Octavia Spencer, who has given up on that, but he, her husband makes her, he makes her feel special sometimes, you know? It's kind of a gray area. Yeah. She does all the work, but, you know, once in a while he, he chips in, as yeah. it were. And then you have Michael Shannon on the other end of that spectrum who the, his relationship works for him and his wife, but it doesn't seem to be the consummate relationship of give and take. It's just, just it seems to be a consummate relationship of it is what it is. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> they're just, they, they, it seems like they're married for the convenience of being married. It also seems like uh, with uh, the three main characters, aside from ha- Sally Hawkins, is that they're all a victim of their time period that they're in, they're stuck in. Yeah, it could be. Like Spencer's, like she's supposed to be married, right? And she's supposed to, you know, do the, have the job that she has and that's the best she can get because she's, you know, she's, you know, for lack of a better she's term. She's black. She's colored, right? Just say it. She's no, black. I want to say colored because it's from the time period. So, um, or, you know, like, or Michael Shannon's character because, you know, he's a company yes man. He's a government yes man, right? And, you know, he's going to do whatever he's told to do, no matter how far over the top he has to go. And uh, and then Richard Jenkins is the same thing. He's a closeted gay man because he has to be a closeted gay man in that time period, right? So, you know, he's he's inhibited his life, and now so he's a shut-in because of it with his art. I don't know. I, I This is how, when, when I look at movies and then I, I learn more about what actually happened in history and stuff like that, I don't, I don't tend to take anything that's put into movies seriously anymore about history or about anything it, because I don't believe in victim of time. I don't believe in that bullshit. Fine. How about product? No. I don't, I don't uh, Maybe a product. But I don't believe in the, the victim of time, uh, especially with the gay thing going on because, yeah, they were kind of persecuted and then they're being persecuted now. But for the most part, like, people didn't give a shit. It just, there's, history has a way of showing that in time that the gays weren't as persecuted as the blacks or, or anything else because at this point in time, this point in time. (laughs) (laughs) 
because... Well, I mean, it's kind of hard to hide being black. You can technically hide being gay. Right. But um, because it was... As long as you weren't out and about and flaunting it, it was a little bit more acceptable, you know? It was that underlying Hollywood secret, you know? Man, the, the specific nightclubs and stuff like that. Yeah, so... You know, it was it was just one of those things. Like, just keep your shit to yourself, and everything's cool, right? So, and that's the that's the the deal with Richard's character is he tried to keep it to himself, and that's why he got fired from his job. That seems to be the underlying reason why he got fired from yeah. his job. And then when he meets that guy at the uh, pie shop, and the guy at the pie shop is like, "We don't want your kind here," you mm-hmm. know, and it's a dichot. It's is it a dichotomy? When when a black couple comes in, they yeah. want to sit down. No, you can't sit any, at the counter. We don't have any seats for you here. Right, yeah. they're all reserved. And then he realizes that Richard's character is gay, and it also makes him turn on Richard's character. So you have that layer right there of this weird style of it, it's you know racism and homophobia. Yeah, right. And then we go back to the government facility, and Octavia. And her and, and and everybody, the colored people, if you want to call it that, aren't treated any differently. Just because they're janitors or whatever else to help. <laughs> <coughs> they aren't treated like, you know, they're less of a human or anything else like just that. Just the lower rung employees. <laughs> yeah, they're just... <coughs> God damn it. <laughs> they're just there, you know. Yeah. They're, they're part of the whole, I'm... I'm Got this fucking bug in my throat. It's the level of ants, right? You know, the my, my many sects of ants. I guess if you want to call it that, but really, worker bees. Well, or... Yeah, you know, their job is their job, and you know, Octavia doesn't complain about it. They're not. They're they're non-threatening. <coughs> that's why they're able to go into classified areas. And but clean. that's not what I was getting at. They're not looked at as anything important. Nothing special. They're non-threatening. That's not what I'm getting at. What? What I was getting at is just because of the color of their skin doesn't make them doesn't treat them any differently, and they are they they aren't they aren't talked down to. Yeah, I mean Michael Shannon, even though you think he's talking down to him, he's not. He's just doing his job. But you know, at one point he try he's he tries to get Sally Hawkins. He's 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 hitting on her. You yeah, know? but he's uncomfortably hitting on her. Yeah, but. <laughs> He's not he's not calling her names or anything else like that. He doesn't call anybody any names. And that's that's what really interests me about this movie is the acceptance of the fact that these people are there to work. You know, I need you here, I need you to do this and then get out, right? And and don't say anything about it. And that's what's really good about it is the fact that Guillermo del Toro doesn't overwhelm us with unnecessary racism bullshit mm-hmm. you know it's there yeah yeah and it's it's, it's there it's already it, it's acknowledged but it doesn't overtake any scene yeah it, it's absolutely the way that it's supposed to be done just like you when know? he made when he was talking about god he goes oh well maybe maybe more like he we you know god looks more like me than you know yeah you know it's like he more more like me than you yeah you know but yeah, and you it's do quick, have it's a quick establishment of the time, you know, right? And the thought processes of certain people, you know, and yeah, yeah. But it, like I said, like you said it doesn't overwhelm anything. Yeah, and and that's and, and that's what makes this movie uh, extra good is his ability to focus on all of these characters and not let Hollywood bullshit get in the way 
of a good story. Yeah. You know, and what I mean by Hollywood bullshit is, you know, the political nonsense, the fucking racism nonsense, the the fake the fake racism nonsense, the fake outcry, the fake rage, all this other stuff. The way that Guillermo del Toro does it is very just matter of fact. This is how it was then. Deal with it, blah, blah, blah. We're going to move the story forward, you mm-hmm. know? And he's not blatant about using the N-word or anything else like that. And that's great because not everybody did, right? So <laughs> as the story moves on, we find out that Sally has this thing for – she starts falling in love with the fish. Mm-hmm. And, and it, if you look at the way that the movie's done, and I I'd probably have to go back and watch it, but I'm pretty goddamn sure that every scene had water in it. You're probably right. Or at least it had like a reflection of water. Yeah. In it, like a little, like a, like a, like a, something on the wall. Like yeah. A, like a like, reflection haze or something. Yeah. Right. The, like a light reflecting off water. Probably right. But I'm pretty sure that every single scene had water in it, whether it was rain or something liquid in a, in a, in a glass, whether yeah. it was water or coffee or whatever. Yeah. Every scene had something or to do. Or they're mopping. They're using the mop buckets with, yeah. Had something to do with water, mm-hmm. you know? And in depending on depending on the scene, how much water? Yeah, right. If it, it like the gill man being out of the water yeah. and it's raining and there's a lot of water coming down while it's raining. Yeah, you know whether he's inside or outside. Um, when he's in his tank, you know there's a lot of water in there. Or when his, Shan's fingers get bit off and then all of a sudden she has to pour water all over the floor to clean it up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting how he uses that, you know, the shape of water, you know, the bathtub and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the fucking montage scenes were funny as shit. Just every other, you know, every, the first 15 minutes would make any prude just fucking uncomfortable. I forgot. Just God, her hate, just slapping it. <laughs> I hate my memory, dude. I, I totally forgot about those scenes. They're fucking great. I, because it's like you, you watch those and you're like, yeah, this is not. I are like, yeah, this is this this is a Del Toro movie. It, it's not afraid to, you know, handle things from an adult approach. <laughs> and you know? so, yeah, yeah, handle. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah I, I, I put that in my. I made a remark in my um, my review about the fact that you know what, what what would this movie have been like if it was PG thirteen or Pan's Labyrinth had been PG thirteen? There it, there would have been so much so many things that were inhibited that it wouldn't have been the same movie. You know what I mean? Certain things, like, look, it's one thing when you have, like, say, live free or die hard, right? Where all they did was they took the fuck out, and then they took, uh, they, 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 you know, all the all the squib shots with the blood exploding. That's all they took out of the movie to right. make it PG thirteen. But with with Pan's Labyrinth or this movie, you know, if you had you had doled it down to a PG thirteen rating, there would have been so much um, story and other things they would have taken out. You know what I mean? That it would have it would have really hurt these films to do that. So I like the fact that Del Toro puts out a movie movies like this that he's not a, he's not afraid of 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 that that rating. You know what I mean? of of he's going to make the movie the way he wants to do it and he did it. So I'm I'm glad for that cuz I hate it when movies get, you know, doled down because of that shit. Right. So um so yeah, I look and I I remember we had this big debate in the in the fucking parking lot for like an hour about Shannon's character cuz I called him a villain. And I don't believe he's a villain. <laughs> and and it, you were like like so like fucking vehemently against me calling him a villain. And I you know it, 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 I call him a villain because <coughs> it, it it's 
I'm used to, you know, everyone who's not doing the bad things in the movie, I think of them as either the heroes or, or just the players. And then, then anyone who's doing bad, those are the villains, right? That's the, the movie tropes, right? So, um, but for the most part, you're, you, I mean, even though he's perceived to be the villain of the film, because he's the, the one doing all the bad things, right? You know, technically, he's the monster because he's the one that's torturing the animal, you know, torturing the, the amphibian man. But, um, I mean, he it's not like he's going out of his way. I mean, it's one of those things, it's a perspective thing, right? If you actually think about what Michael Shannon's character is going through, is he really the villain? You know what I mean? Is he, or is he just... Or is he just questionable? He has questionable morals in the processes of the way he does things. I mean, that that'd be more of a a, a fair description of his character. I'd say is that yeah, he's willing to go to extremes to get the job done, especially because when it gets to the when it pretty much gets down to the nitty gritty, is you got Nick Searcy's uh, general character pretty much saying you know you're gonna become a fucking grease spot if you don't get this creature back you know after after um, Hawkins and everybody frees yeah. him, and um, so do you remember the the um, the you know the 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 KGB agent right or the whatever you call him the the spy right that character um, Doctor Hofstetter. Or Stetler or whatever, um, played by played by Michael Stahlberg. Um, <laughs> yeah. You remember him as the dude that drove the Hummer in Fargo, remember? Right. He worked for with Ewan McGregor's character, um, and I always remember that guy from Men in Black Three. He was the one that could always see different pathways of the way time might go. You know, parallel. You know, um, uh, whatever you fucking call them. You know, uh, conclusions or whatever. Um, what 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 kept throwing me off though is when we were watching the movie, I kept. That actor, I already knew that actor was in the movie, but there was another actor in the film as well who was the, um, he had the big bushy mustache and he worked right underneath um, uh, Shannon's character, right? And I kept mixing up who was Stahlberg in the movie because those two looked very similar to each other. The, you know, the, the, the doctor and, and, the, and the guy that, you know, just he, whoever, he's fucking number two, you know, uh, Shannon's number two because those two actors looked very similar to each other. Um, but anyway, Stahlberg was the was the you know the agent was the Russian agent, and uh, you know what? It, um, that was another thing that was really cool about the movie was it was able to pull in um, elements of the Cold War without it like also overwhelming the entire story. You know what I mean? It still always ends up going back to Sally Hawkins, and and then it filters down into the other characters a little bit as well. I don't think Octavia Spencer her character got as much um, exposure, you know, for her characters, you know. Uh, background or whatever, but that's fine. It, it's not a it's not a complaint. But um, if you notice, there a little bit of time was given to to, to Richard Jenkins' character Giles. You know when you, when he had to, you know for the whole you know the making the paintings for for the company and all that stuff and and then the pie thing you know at, at the diner. But and then also with Shannon because you you got to see Shannon you know deal with his his superiors and his home life so. It, it was able to balance all of these guys, all of these main characters into um, in in a way that you you either care for them or you know who what kind of person they are when you're watching it, right? Right. So <laughs> th- that's what's really successful about the film as well is that it's able to do all those people and and still keep going. And I, like I, I'll I'll keep going back to it. Those special elements of it being a Del Toro film are what makes this movie stand out. You know, it's. It's the gore. It's the fact that you're showing Sally Hawkins, right? And the first time they show her pretty much is she already gets butt naked and gets in the bathtub and starts masturbating, right? Right. Like, holy shit, are we, what the fuck? (laughs) 
that threw me off. You know, I'm not used to seeing that, uh, you know, pop up in a movie. And it was, I mean, it was great because, you know, like I said, it's a surprise. But, um, but yeah, I mean, all those, but the gore, man. Oh, the, the fish hook scene, you know? Oh, Jesus, oh, yes. Oh, my God. And I, right when I saw that, I wanted to clap because I'm like, that's, there you go. That's that signature del Toro gore that I was looking for because, if, <coughs> like, if you go back to Pan's Labyrinth, there's this one scene that is so fucking gory that it's where um, the main pro, um, antagonist of the film, he just starts bashing this guy's head in with a, with a wine bottle, and it's fucking graphic. Yep. I'm sorry, his face in with, with it. And, and yeah, it's, it's so... You know that's what makes it stand out in its own distinctive style. Uh, I gave the, I ended up giving the movie a uh, uh, I think an eight point five out of ten, very high rating. Really? Yeah, because it's like see if I was gonna like because I always it's just like with Tarantino I got to compare other works right you know what what is of theirs that you're sure favorite maybe it's a fault of mine but still um, I would like I would probably end up giving Pan's Labyrinth a nine and this is an eight point five so this this movie to me is like really close to how good. And memorable um, Pan's Labyrinth is, um, and yeah, this is. I think that this is this movie is. It's on a shitload of uh, best picture lists for a lot of uh, a lot of critics. I don't think it's going to win though because there's some people that are on are high on high up on other films um, like The Post and fucking Lady Bird and yeah. and oh, Three Billboards Three Bill. Yeah, Three Billboards is getting a lot of praise right now. And then Get Out, looks like Get Out is getting fucking almost completely ignored. And a lot of people are saying it's because of how early last year it was released. Yes. You know, which, I mean, that could be true, but I I don't know. I mean, that seems kind of petty, you know what I mean? I, I, either if a movie's wor- worthy of it or, or not, you know, it, it shouldn't matter what time of year it came out. So, and I mean, they didn't, I heard that they re-released Get Out as well. So, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, uh, what'd you give the film? Eight. Okay. I gave it an eight. Shit. I thought. Well, you know what? I, I, you've, um, you've told me that you're more, um, you're gonna be more uh, I'm, critical. I, yeah, I'm a little bit more critical when it comes to stuff. It's not the perfect movie. Yeah. But Jesus, it's really, really good. Um, an eight out of ten is actually a really good score. Yeah. Um, I don't think I gave Star Wars that high of a rating. I think you gave Star Wars a seven or a seven point five. Yes. Because I think I gave it a seven. So um, when it comes to this movie, though, um, this and a, a few others this year, because this came out in 2017. So for for this year, or for last year, I'm sorry, um, when you have Get Out and Three Billboards and The Shape of Water. Disaster Artists as well. Yeah, among others. <laughs> um, it's, it's an amazing story, Um Directed by a guy that has his ups and downs, mm-hmm. and this is a win for him—a huge win. It absolutely is. It is. Um, yeah, I, I can't wait to see what he's going to do next. I mean, I know that for a long time he's been wanting to make a, a movie called uh, "The Mountains of Madness." Uh, I don't remember what it's based off of, but he's been wanting to do it for like over twenty years, um, and so he, he keeps putting it aside to do other things. So. Uh, I'd like to see where that goes because I, I don't even know what the hell it's about. But uh, Del Toro still got it, man. He he he, he you know he can still f- surprise you with 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 his own original shit. And Bravo, just, just straight up Bravo to this movie. Absolutely. So, all right, um, all right. So we uh, we're gonna start doing a little something different with the uh, with these uh, shows, which what? is pretty much we're gonna do our uh, 
Our POS, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna start doing our um, our piece of shit predictions for the next film that we plan on seeing. So this week the uh, the POS is going to be for Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle, starring The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and Karen Gillan. Hold on a second. So yeah, we're gonna do our piece of shit. Or not. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna read what I wrote for mine, and then Michael read his. All right. So like, and, we need to give him a fucking play by play. And for the record, these piece of shit predictions, we do them normally. We do them mostly based off of just what we see in the trailer. Again, context, man. <laughs> you don't need context. Context just, is important. It, no, it's not. <laughs> sure. Sure, it's not. You don't. You don't. We don't need a play by play. All right. So here's my take. All right. This is what happens when you neglect your old board games. They mutate into a '90s style video game system and wait for some poor teenagers on detention to go all Guns and Roses while welcoming them to the jungle. Welcoming them, welcoming them all to the jungle. A nerd, a basic nobody, a jock, and a spoiled valley girl are all transformed into their complete opposites to hilarious consequences. Forget all the perils that come with a Jumanji-based game like rhinos and giant snakes, because these prima donnas have, have bigger problems to deal with like pollen, wet backpacks, middle-aged weight problems, and above all else, pound cake. Will three lives each be enough to make it through to the end? Will there be upgrades? And will The Rock do another one of his patented titty dances that we all love to stare at? My prediction is, no Robin Williams, no Dax Shepard, and a stupid title. Should we be worried? The Rock, Jack Black, Kevin Hart, and that angry cyborg chick from Guardians of the Galaxy make it seem like a good idea, yet we've seen disastrous ensemble ensemble comedies before. I don't have a bunch of faith in this, but that pound cake scene and good word of mouth have me looking forward to this one. Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle will not be a piece of shit, I think. When it comes to sequels, anything that uses a cool song title for the name of a movie usually means that it's going to be terrible. Taking the concept of the original movie Jumanji, where the board games threw different challenges at the characters and they had to play the game until it was finished. That was the great part of the movie. The characters had to drag the board game with them wherever they went. Now the studios want to put an all put all new characters into a quote unquote video game version of the board game. While there seems to be some cool scenes, especially the Kevin Hart scene where one of his weaknesses is cake and he eats cake and explodes. That was funny. Aside from the title, the movie actually looks pretty funny. I like it. I liken it to what I call a popcorn movie. I liken it. You go to see this type of film just to forget about the day of the week and have some popcorn and enjoy the moment. Then again, the trailer could be nothing but a sham until they give away the best parts, but it seems that this won't be a piece of shit. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes couldn't be wrong, could it? Nah. <laughs> so there it is. <laughs> wow. Jumanji. Four teenagers are sucked into a magical video game, and the only way they can escape it is to work together to finish the game. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, yes, next on. I want you to cut it. You never did. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, next up on a couple of Average Joe's movie reviews, we will be talking about Jumanji. Jumanji. Welcome to the jungle. And we'll let you know what we think. All right. That's all we got. Yep. We're done. Done. Okay. So what do you think the shape of water is supposed to be? A movie. <laughs> the actual shape, what should it be? I don't know. It's whatever. It's whatever. Fucking title throws me off. I- <laughs> the shape of water is whatever form it takes when it is inside a container. Uh-huh. That's what the shape of water is. So it can take any form. Okay. So like if you put it into a, 
a, a serpentine pattern glass shape or whatever, it uh, takes the shape of that or, or a cylinder or, or a square. Or inside of vagina. Or inside of vagina or whatever. Okay. Because, you know, Joe and his fucking obsession with dicks and pussies. <laughs> Does she not masturbate in the bathtub? Yeah, but again, so what? What's the shape of that water? Square. Rectangular. Does it matter? Uterical? It's just dumb. <laughs> Bye. Fucking dumb obsession. <laughs>